0: Grunkle Time. It's uh, it's 11th, 11th Grunkle episode, Grunkle Time, 11 time, believe oh. it or not. Yeah. We are your hosts,
1: Grunkle. I think I'm the Grunkle, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, yep, you're the Grunkle, I'm the nephew, your name is Tristan, my name is Elliot, Proper T just played us in, uh, doot, 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 calculating... Yeah.
0: Sorry, I just I just woke up for some from some alternate reality, and I I literally have no idea what's going on at all. Mm, mm. I think there's something about movies. I've got this vague, th- big, unformed things floating around in my head, and it's like everything, ooh.
1: everywhere, grunket. Oh, there
0: you go. Which we've both seen at this point now. Yeah. Which, maybe we should do like little openings where we're like there's this new movie that we both saw if we have uh, seen both seen a, a new film to talk yeah. about
1: well you want to talk about that movie
0: i feel like if we do we would just start rambling i don't know yeah. i don't think either of us quite um got hyped to it the way seemingly everybody else yeah
1: has. a lot of people seem like they've been able to connect with it really deeply and I don't think i particularly did i was really excited by some of the ideas in the movie like right just the whole multiverse alternate selves idea and stuff just like uh the idea of like switching to that path and using their memories that was really right.
0: cool i mean and the multiverse i'm not going to say it's a riskless film because i think in many ways it takes a lot of risks but the multiverse is certainly very, very, very hot right now. and
1: Yeah, it's hot. But it's also like a multiverse movie the way like The Lion King is a movie about animals. You know what I mean? Right. It's like just kind of the setting more of like the than the plot necessarily. And
0: it's a standalone multiverse, which so many of the other big franchise multiverses are... Building up to it with franchise films, and this is much more independent, much more low budget than a lot of those. Your Marvels, I I
1: thought. I thought that Swiss Army Man was better suited to like. Still haven't seen it. The quirkiness of their sensibility, the Daniels. Oh, that was
0: the Daniels. Okay.
1: Oh, those Daniels. Yeah. See that, like.
0: Yeah, and that that whatever you want to call it, quirky is it's certainly... A, it's quality. a little
1: uh, a little chung and teak. Exactly, yeah.
0: Oh, there you go with your little spoonerisms again, eh?
1: What are you talking about? Well,
0: on the most recently released one, you know, you got the little Lichard Rink later and now we're talking
1: about... Uh, Whoa, now you said it. I've never spoonerized <laughs> in my life. I hope who's t- a, Who's to spoonerize? Um, okay, but this week, we watched some movies for the podcast that weren't, um in the theaters uh first we watched uh baby lurd um lady (laughs) Lady bird we watched baby turd lady bird uh greta gerwig's breakout hit from was it 17 or 18 no 17
0: 17 17 Um,
1: wow which is like five years ago fucked we were teenagers we uh or, no, I was not. I was 12. right. Yeah, I was, I was 19. Um, yeah, yeah. uh but we also watched uh Abbas kiristami's posthumous release, 24 frames, Mike Lee's topsy turvy adaptation. Well not so much adaptation, but more depiction of Gilbert and Sullivan's writing of the oh. <clears throat> in Victorian English and here, here. finally um, the Gleaners and I, a rather straight-up documentary from Tristan's um, Tristan's serial wet dream <laughs> appointment. <laughs> Anya Varda.
0: Yeah, not a sexual wet dream, but certainly a cinematic one. Yes.
1: Mm, if you insist.
0: Right. No one's gonna believe me. I hope the um, I hope the blaring New York City noises aren't coming in through. My microphone, I am not on my usual setup today, and I hear ambulances and sirens and wailings and cryings and screamings and screeches and shoutings and moutings and mices and scrices and all sorts of things. So I hope it's not coming up for all of you out there, but
1: mm. hopefully you it's sl- not. Any slices? You hearing any slices?
0: Yeah, Pete, yeah like za slices, man. Yeah, New York slices. I tell You're you this. Bro. No, no, I'm not going to go. I I was about to go on a pizza rant about New York pizza, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah, you don't need to go on a pizza. I don't need to do that. It's Grunkle's Movie Month. I I can start Grunkle's Pizza Month with somebody
1: else. So the first movie um, (laughs) this week was Lady Bird. um, As mentioned before, directed and written by Greta Gerwig. Indie Darling. um, Indie Darling of both... Our Hearts and of Noah Baumbach, uh, Greta Gerwig. Well, are they divorced now? Are Is they? Is that why Marriage Story was a thing or was he just- No, like no, Marriage Griffin? Story. I don't know. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, really? But, yeah. Lady Bird, 1.2 million logged on Letterboxd. Um, oh, I haven't looked at that list in a while, but the list of films that have eclipsed 1 million reviewed accounts on Letterboxd it's an interesting list for sure but digression we're beyond it ladybird directed and written by greta gerwig starring Sersha ronan features our titular character protagonist titled named ladybird is her <laughs> name um and she is a senior in high school living in sacramento Ooh. california she's just trying to gtfo um, she has a very turbulent relationship with her mother, um, which leads to most of the dramatic tension throughout the film. Um, other key sources of this drama coming from just Lady Bird's relationships with her friends and potential love interests as she is trying to figure out who she is and what she wants from the world. and. Eventually she um, heads off to college in New York um, against her mother's wishes, um, who wants her to stay in California. And yeah, and it's kind of in this last 10, 15 minutes or so when she finally is separated from home and her family, she can realize how important those things are to her. But this is just a real classic coming of age film. It's very, um, I don't know, it's very sweet and tender, but also, you know, kind of rough around the edges at times. It doesn't really pull so many punches. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's really leaning more towards realism than anything else. And it's um, a very well-told story. It's visually beautiful. It's written rather well. The performances are fantastic across the board, I would say. Uh uh, opposite Sersha Ronan is Laurie Metcalf as his her Ooh. mother uh Tracy Letts as her father Ooh. Tracy Letts who is also you know playwright uh, extraordinaire Right yeah exactly and then as the other teenagers we got Beanie Feldstein Lucas Hedges and Timothee Chalamet The um, who's who
0: of our generation who, right and uh, it's
1: yeah yeah and it's so interesting Stars. that um Five years ago, these are kind of breakout performances oh, across yeah. the board. Except for Sersha, you know, who had done a number of films at that point. But now she's like really on superstar level.
0: Yeah, really um, all of them. And... and also
1: interesting little factoid. Um yeah. there's a point in this film where Lady Bird and her best friend, um Beanie, what's her name? Julie uh lady bird and julie are uh, auditioning for the school musical which is merrily we roll along which richard linklater is oh, no. adapting into a film in the boyhood style because that film it's like this friendship over the course of 15 years but it's told backwards so the last scene oh. is like when they meet and so he's filming it yeah backwards boyhood style memento and boyhood memento boyhood exactly um But Beanie plays the same character in that production of Merrily We Roll Along as she does in this one in the play within the play of Lady Bird. So it was like, you know, cool meta reality moment happening in Lady Bird. Yeah, and Beanie
0: Feldstein is sort of in the two certified coming of age films for our generation. The sort of one more D leading drama, and the other
1: mm-hmm. definitely
0: more comedy leading,
1: right. Lady Boat
0: Bird Smart. and Booksmart, yeah, which yeah. kind of both uh, blew up uh, with a lot of people our age, I feel, and a lot of people totally. were able to relate to both. And good yeah. for Beanie for getting those 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 roles because that's that's huge, and she's uh, just as much a darling now as anybody else in this movie. I would say people love Beanie
1: Feldstein. Oh yeah, totally.
0: And yeah, this is um, Lady Bird. Um, the coming, I would, I would say the, the sort of coming of age film of our generation that was able to elevate itself to the crossroads of, people found it, you know, it's very digestible and entertaining, but also has that depth to it. Although I think it does fall into... The sort of pitfalls that we associate with the coming of age story, there are things that to me, come across as tired, such as the typical forced best friends, one of them abandons the other to fit into the popular crowd and right have to make up at the end because of course they will and
1: right so but i think you know it's also like kind of subverting those the kind of tropiness of the 2000s of um, high school movies which there were were plenty of and there's also plenty of parody of that genre as well you know something kind of like uh 10 things i hate about you something along those lines for instance and i think in in that also it's kind of set in like what 2002 i think yeah 2002 calendroom um right yeah yeah and then it goes to 2003 they have the glasses for the new year um and yeah i don't know i think that this is like a far more all-encompassing worldview in this film that is also, you know, able to remain intimate and limited to Lady Bird's worldview, and so that's why when she leaves Sacramento, it's, there's this, such an expansion that happens within the film. And that at first when I saw this movie in theaters, that ending didn't quite click for me necessarily, but on a rewatch, I felt that it was, yeah, a very very solid ending with her final kind of realization as she's starting college
0: right and the the ending is sort of a filmic ending but it's really the beginning of a story her her ending mm. is this this sigh as she that sort of marks her departure from this sacramento family life that the whole film she's trying to escape from and it's only once she is removed from that physically that she realizes how important her mother is to her, and how important Sacramento is to her, and this notion of driving around, which I very much relate to, I love driving around my hometown, and the sort of beauty and peace that one can find in that, and the sort of things that one can realize about their surroundings by taking it in, by driving around, and it's this moment she's she's leaving a voice message for her mother and she's finally able to say the things that she wasn't able to say up until she's removed from a situation that she was trying to escape from the whole film and there's this notion of a great film doesn't become a great film until it's over and it's the space that your mind exists in after watching something in which the all the formal and structural and thematic elements of a film are able to marinate and come out. And I think Lady Bird is a film that sort of understands that idea as it ends on this very sort of transitory, transitional moment in somebody's life. And Mm -hmm. to sort of abruptly end with that little tease almost is, I mean, I love I love the ending of this movie. I it it was um, I think it it's any any sort of issues I have with it while watching it, sort of that end just is the culmination of everything that works about it for me.
1: Mm -hmm. Totally, totally.
0: And this is a film that I've this this was maybe my like fourth or fifth watch. Really? Yeah. Well, because it's such a comforting, watchable film. And even though, mm. like, for me, it's not a film Like, you'll that, just pop
1: this on, sitting by yourself, you'll be like, yeah, ladybird time. Yes,
0: yeah, totally. Wow. And it's funny, because it's not something... It's not a film that I find I get more out of on rewatches. In fact, I think, actually, on rewatches, the depth diminishes a bit for me, because it is sort of very... There's not much subtext to this film.
1: Sure.
0: And there's not much that you could glean from. Glean. Yeah, there you go. There's not much you could glean from, at least for me, on on rewatches that isn't immediately accessible. But the vibes are there. And it's such a, I don't know, it's such a rewatchable film.
1: Yeah, I put this on...
0: Oh, yeah sorry. why did you why did you choose because it because that? i hadn't
1: seen it since theaters and i was like right. i remembered really liking this and that it is kind of you know um one of these bridge movies that is very accessible but also has possesses mm-hmm. these filmic art house qualities oh
0: yeah, yeah 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 and then it's it's no
1: but i totally just cut you off what were you about to say?
0: I I I was talking about rewatching it. Yeah, I think I. I mean, I think I I, I said everything I, I wanted to in terms of what one can get out of rewatching it. It's just a very. This was did this come out in the same year as Call Me by Your Name, or was that? I um,
1: think
0: so. Or maybe they're a year. If removed. it did,
1: then this was like a summer release, and Call Me by Your Name was a fall release. Right. But I think Call Me by Your Name also could have been twenty eighteen.
0: Yeah, maybe. Because both of, the, both of these films, which, whether same year or not, same sort of, I mean, very close in proximity. Both of them are just films that I have found I could put on at any time and enjoy it. And maybe not, I mean, Call Me By Your Name is a different story. I do glean more out of that. And you know how much I love that movie. I mean, Gabagoo Gabagoo what could Well, I, say? I
1: think that you only like that movie because of Sufjan Stevens. That's my new theory. Because that movie is not that good, but I've only seen it once, so maybe uh, maybe I need to rewatch Call Me By Name.
0: I think you should, yeah. I wonder, uh, maybe we could watch it for the podcast one day.
1: Yeah, well, maybe you could watch my mother pick up her laundry because I got, <laughs> the kids in, got the kids at the swimming practice.
0: Oh, not again. Do me a real favor, Grunkle. They better dry off before they get in the goddamn car this time, okay? okay i don't need chlorine stains all over my okay
1: belt. okay okay but yeah lady bird i don't know yeah i definitely see this movie being like a certified you know, hood classic definitive definitive moods of the 2010 yeah films yeah like lady Big bird time. makes those lists
0: yes certainly and it's a film that i'm sure Unlike many others that we watch, that most of our listeners have probably seen it. It was very. It's very accessible across age. It's -hmm. very accessible across pretty much any sort of. Yeah, looking
1: at how many of like the people I follow on Letterbox, it's like two thirds, three quarters of them have seen Lady Bird, and one
0: hundred percent have seen twenty-four frames, right?
1: Yes, one hundred percent have seen twenty-four. Yes. Yeah, why don't, you, why don't you go ahead and intro us on 24 Frames, Grunkle. Was that a good segue? It
0: was, it, it was pretty epic. Yeah, I'm going to say it gets a A- minus, uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of segues. And now I'm butchering it by stumbling and fumbling and grumbling yeah, along like the old senile yeah, Grunkle I am.
1: Yeah.
0: But wow, another... 2017 film i hadn't realized that they were the same year although i'm not sure exactly well, Was
1: 2017 really one year
0: i is, think is, i think it was is, one year is, yeah. has
1: time not been spliced since uh since harambe died i thought that was oh. like, uh, <laughs> a consensus that like time has you know shifted in essence since those events
0: well i think this is a film that certainly splices and splits time in a fun little way but We'll get there. 24 frames from 2017 from my, my my three. The podium of filmmakers for me is four. Vardo.
1: Four. four.
0: Are, are you throwing in Hopper?
1: Oh, yeah, I am throwing
0: in okay, Hopper. Okay, cool, cool. All right, I'll throw in Hopper. I'll throw in Hopper if you're throwing in Hopper for me. My podium of four filmmakers is Agnes Varda, Bas Sami, Andrei Tarkovsky, and Dennis Hopper. Dennis! But we're not talking about Denis Hopper. We're talking about Iranian filmmaker, legend, genius, dare I say, Abbas Kurasami, and his 2017 film, 24 Frames. And this is an interesting one. Hey, folks, can I get a round of applause for interesting? It is based off of 24 photographs that Abbas had taken. And he decided to take these photographs and cinematicize them and turn them into almost long. What are those things called? Um, cinematographs or cinemagraphs? I think they're called yeah, cinemagraphs. Yeah,
1: sure, sure, that works.
0: So a cinemagraph is a still image that has moving elements, but the frame remains the same and it's sort of looped. It's not quite a cinem- cinemagraph, but. As terms of feature films, it's probably the closest thing that you're going to get to a sequence of cinemagraphs, at least that I've seen. And so he takes these, these 24 images and he adds through various post-production special effects techniques, adds moving elements to them, sort of very, for the most part, based in the natural world, or at least what most people would consider natural, animals, moving trees and leaves, waves, winds, the occasional human injection. A lot of the times when there's a human involved, it's also with some sort of machinery or vehicle, like a boat or this uh, car, I think it is, or maybe it was a motorcycle, um, a computer. And so it's these, these long, long takes. I don't even know if you could call them takes because it's not film. It's, it's, it is though. It's, it's the crossroads of photography and film. And I'm very, very split on this movie because on one hand, I think it makes us think about photography and film and the captured image and what happens before and after a photograph and playing with expanded time, but also sort of totally annihilates what makes photography great which is interesting because
1: right. which for photography it's great that you can like kind of look into the photo and get lost in it and like make your own discoveries about what the reality mm-hmm. of that moment is whereas right this is about exploring that reality but then in a sense is kind of spelling it out for you mm-hmm. you, you know and right. then in a way you can still kind of make your own before and after for these images. And there's, there's also like something that's like about this, the numbing consistency of this movie of it being 24 frames and every single frame is like three to four minutes long too of it being, I, I don't know of it you can, you use, you, I, I agree with what you said about how it kind of almost corrupts the best part of what photography is.
0: Right. Because the, the, idea of capturing a singular moment not even a second like you know um, a billionth of a second a a frame frozen in time is so powerful and to sort of be like well I'm gonna take the beauty of photography and I don't want to say ruin it because I think I loved a lot of what this movie did but you could certainly argue that it." just completely diminishes and yeah, you know, sort of skirts the, what makes photography great. And to what end, to what end? Because when you're, right. And I think the notion of, when we traditionally think of frames in a filmic sense, it is, you know, frames per second, it is the shutter speed of the camera and each image captured, Uh, each frame captured. And so if this film were 24 frames in the traditional sense of what we think of as frames, the film would be a second because most films you have 24 frames per second. But to take Mm -hmm. the idea of 24 filmic frames and to elongate it sort of puts us in a universe with a warped sense of time and brings images to life, kind of forcing you to live in them and think about them. But you can do that with greater effect if it were just still images, I think. Mm. And I do think, I don't know. I think, and it's interesting because they are presented as so natural and as if you're watching found footage or just you're watching somebody's Forest cam or wildlife. Right, cam. like a
1: literally just as if it was a moment in time, as if this could be.
0: Right, but it's entirely constructed, which is interesting mm-hmm. because it's presented as fully captured footage, but it's entirely imagined. And it's like to have the sort of creative resolve to make, to take these sort of mundane photographs and make them even more mundane in their naturalism like it's not like he's taking a photograph and adding anything exciting right it's it's cows walking around
1: yeah i think that this film can connect with people if you know you're looking at it at film from a purely like academic point of view Mm -hmm. and that this film kind of can capture some interesting thoughts about what is the nature of film of like, what are we doing with this medium? And what is the power and the implications of mm-hmm. this medium? But as in terms of like a, a viewer watching experience, I don't know, unless you're really willing to kind of get real thinky about something that inherently isn't really that interesting, then I don't know how well you're gonna be able to connect with this film. Whereas I don't know this is it's kind of um it's more of an experiment than a mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what the power of film is is that film can be both you know art and entertainment right. you know most mediums of art should be both, and this is really uh void of entertainment, i would say
0: yeah, yeah, and yeah that's why i'm I'm very split on it as a while I was watching it i and you know it sort of goes back to the thing I was saying about Ladybird, about a great film not becoming great until it's over, it's certainly much more enjoyable to marinate in what this film is trying to say after the fact than it is to actually observe and witness what it's short. Yeah. And so, and not to say that while watching it, I was like, Oh my God, because there, I was sort of, In the same way that Sleep Has Her House, which is another slow cinema film that we talked about earlier, there were times Mm -hmm. where it put me in a sort of meditative trance-like state, less so than I think the... Because Sleep Has Her House is definitely much more experimental in its imagery and offers something that... Sure, but I would
1: also say that it's more accessible as a film. You think so? Yeah, I would definitely say so.
0: Uh, I think a lot of people would say they're pretty equally inaccessible, but I don't know. I, I mean, mean, I don't like to the, to your point, I was certainly during the watching. I just going
1: videos. into this, like even knowing that it was going to be just these 24 images moving. Like I just kind of expected the images themselves to be, well, I don't know, a little more interesting, right. a little, little less repetitive, a little more diverse in uh, their, their content. But. You know, I don't know. I would say that this is maybe a film that you get more out of the second time, but it's also another film hard to fathom getting around <laughs> to a second viewing. Of this yeah, movie, you know?
0: yeah. Certainly, no time soon. Oh my god.
1: Yeah, but yeah, that's twenty-four frames. Yeah. 20, 24 thoughts I had on twenty-four frames.
0: And if you're listening to this and you don't know who Abbas Kuristami is, and you're like, ah, oh, geez, I don't want to check this guy out. This is watch
1: very, certified copy.
0: Yeah, well just like guy. this is not the sort of experiment
1: that I would I would say certified copy is maybe a really good entry point for him. Maybe close up. I feel like a lot close of people would yeah. also say close-up. Close um, but
0: yeah. And 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 yeah, and just one final thing. It's um Abbaskar Sami, much like Varda, one of the reasons I love him is his ability to seamlessly and fascinatingly blend what we traditionally think of as nonfiction and fiction in terms of film, but in totality as well. And while on the surface, he's not much playing with that here, he really is because it is the imagined imagine disguised as the factual, as the captured. And really, none of it actually happened. Which is, mm. I don't know, yeah, it's such a, it's, it's just one of those, you know, you, you appreciate it more than you enjoy watching it. For, you know, at least I would imagine that's the case yeah. a lot. And you know, I, I can't say I was.
1: We worried. often talk about yeah the, the yeah. polarity of those two ideas, yeah. appreciation and enjoyment. And yeah. I would agree, this certainly veers more.
0: Appreciation, Yeah. yeah. But let's get uh, Topsy-Turvy. How was that for a segue?
1: Whoa, Uh, hey,
0: hey, hey. That was like a C-minus segue.
1: Flipped upside down with Mike Lee's period piece dropping in 1999, taking us back about 115 years. Ah! Topsy-Turvy explores the professional and personal relationship of Gilbert and Sullivan, that being... W.S. Gilbert and Sir Arthur Sullivan, um, the opera duo, opera writing duo who brought us Pirates of Penzance, HMS Pinafore, and most notably the Mikado, which this film chronicles the creation of. Um, From top to bottom, this movie is a period piece, the period being Victorian England, and This film's depiction of Victorian England is so deliciously filled to the brim with details and I don't know, little just bits and bobs popping up here and there. But the essence of what uh, happens plot wise in this film is we have um, Gilbert and Sullivan opening Princess Ida, um, a production that got less favorable reviews than typical of their work. And um, uh, they were on the brink of dissolving their professional relationship but after um mr gilbert uh, went to a uh, world fair show um, about japanese culture he was inspired to write a uh, a piece of theater set in japan and thus the mikado was born um the mikado for those who don't know is uh, one of the most performed operas in the world. And oh, really? At one point, it was certainly, yeah. One of, at one point, it was like the most performed piece of theater on the planet. Whoa, and, I, I yeah. had no idea. Oh, yeah, the Mikado is certainly um, a key structure in um, theater history. For sure. I hadn't
0: even heard of it before this.
1: Oh, really? Interesting, yeah. yeah I had heard uh, of
0: Pirates of Penzance, but that, I think that was the only Gilbert and Sullivan I was familiar with.
1: Yeah, no, the Mikado it was like uh, done by like high schools all over the all over the U.S. for a while, and yeah, Gilbert and Sullivan just because you know a lot of their work uh, is um, I don't want to say yeah, is is quite canonized and it is um, you know very pleasing to the sensibilities mm. one might say is very I don't know kind of nothing particularly obscene except for what we see you know, now that we can recognize as, uh, you know, yellow face, right. Um, which, um, you know, is not quite as severe here as it is in say something like, um, breakfast breakfast at Tiffany's because a lot of what Mike Lee is doing is kind of, um, I don't know, exposing and evaluating this, these ideas of performance and kind of presenting them at face value so that you as the viewer can, mm. Draw your own conclusions. And a lot of what I enjoyed about this film was that it was, you know, a very, I don't know, it felt very authentic in its depiction of what it would be like to put on an opera of this scale at this time. And, um, you know, what the, the, the quarrels of this, this pair's relationship is. But then additionally, we get some insights on the, lo- the lives of a number of different actors in the company at the Savoy Opera, which turns into the Savoy Hotel during this movie, which is, um, yeah, the Savoy in London is still to this day a fixture of uh, hospitality and culture. But, um, yeah, I don't know. We get to see the moments of the lives of these characters as they struggle with, you know, um, drug addiction and disease and just the pressure of the times. And I don't know, I just, I found it to be, quite charming. And, um, even though it's runtime is nearing three hours, I felt that, um, with it's, with, uh, you know, how jam packed everything was because, you know, you know, you definitely have to be someone who can get enjoyment out of like watching a 10 minute rehearsal scene. And they're speaking in these old English accents and it's clogged with this acerbic wit at every turn Mm -hmm. that, that no moment can go, you know, without commentary almost um, it is it is um filled to the brim and yeah i don't know while um while it um doesn't make too many conclusions itself i found mm-hmm. that um you know in terms of um if we also consider you know british culture too because gilbert and Sullivan are certainly a bigger deal across the seas than they are here and um mike lee of course being a british filmmaker is um yeah having a, a greater conversation within the canon that um Maybe we as American audiences can't fully appreciate, but Us yeah, Yankees. I don't know. Us Yanks. Yeah. Well, I
0: guess you're a Kentucky lad, so.
1: Yeah. Well, I, well, but a Yankee to the British. Well, yeah, sure.
0: Not a but, Yankee to me though. Okay. But we digress. We don't need to get into well, well, Kentucky
1: but. was a part of the union, but oh. yeah. Well, Fun fact.
0: You're, was you're kind honorable, of honorable Yankee.
1: Yeah. It was a part of the union, but the slave trade was still. Right allowed in kentucky it was kentucky was kind of like the you know the one on the edge the one right. that could kind of yep, yep, fit yep. in with both crowds i guess right
0: west virginia too kind of
1: yeah sure but yeah digressing what'd you think digressing about boys. mike lee
0: i don't know i it's much like lady bird being your typical coming of age but elevated yet still falling into the trappings and pitfalls of the genre. I've I've got a little bit of that, but for the period piece here, for me, it felt too repetitious without momentum. There are so many scenes that just felt so identical to me that didn't really lead me anywhere that I could have a grip on. And there are so many scenes right. of rehearsal and practice and Gilbert and Sullivan yapping at each other and then within the same scene, resolving it. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of issue comes up with the scene, issues is resolved at the end of the scene. Right. And in a way that was, I don't know, a little easier. Right,
1: that, 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 everything was like a little petty almost.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually, I saw somebody online say, I wish this had been directed by Terry Gilliam. And, Ah. oh my God, I, I, I I think I agree. Right. But
1: I feel like with that, it's, it would be a totally different piece. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I feel like a lot of, of Mike Lee's intention here is to make like this kind of historical biopic kind of thing. You know, he makes um, a film made a film a couple years ago, maybe a decade ago now, about um, the uh, British artist Turner. What was his full name? Yeah, yeah. Um, J.M.W. Turner. Yeah, Mr. Turner is the film, right? Yeah, Mr. Turner is the film. Um, So yeah, I I think that Mike Lee is certainly an eccentric filmmaker. And um, this is certainly... um, certainly an eccentric addition to um his repertoire in terms of like uh i don't know like how how a lot of his other films are a lot more offbeat Mm -hmm. and this is a little bit yeah i don't know not quite maybe maybe certainly using a formula to a certain effect to reach a certain conclusion um for a certain emphasis
0: and but like the conclusions it reaches i don't know like some of my favorite period pieces, or my favorite period pieces, reveal something about the time piece? that they were like
1: made. Mary Lyndon? No. I think that this does. I, you don't think that this has a lot to say about Victorian England and no, about, about society. Victorian no, no, no that's society. not what I'm saying.
0: That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I, my favorite period pieces use period to reveal something about the time that they were made. And I didn't. I don't know if I got too much out of that. Oh, about like exploring 1999? the past to reveal the present. Yeah. Oh,
1: sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, I can. I can relate to that. I can relate to that, for sure.
0: And even some of the things like, like the drug addiction didn't feel consequential to me. And it didn't. It, I like it didn't feel present. And it it is sort of probably intentional that, you know, there's this. Heir to Victorian England that everything is perfect and everything is leading towards progress. You know, Victorian England and at that time, especially for England, is marked by this grand optimism of industry and progress and art. And so for there to be an ugly underbelly is fascinating to explore, but didn't go far enough for me. Mm, And I just felt myself watching this very entertaining, very beautifully made, meticulous. um, And it's, it's, with Topsy Turvy, honestly, it's the opposite issue I have with twenty-four frames.
1: Entertaining, mm.
0: yes. Great acting, great costumes, great set design. You
1: just didn't think that there was too much to be said.
0: Yeah. Sure. I think I think that I, don't know. I think
1: I think that also with my background in theater and this right. also being a piece that is so concerned about how we make theatre and how theatre right. was made, you know, in one of like the Savoy was one of the first all electric buildings in London. You know what I mean? So that uh-huh. this is like, kind of like the idea of like footlights is revolutionary to a certain extent. Yeah. So, so it is, it like, is. Yeah. Just yeah. like, and how, and how, um, after reading about the production of this film, like how devote Mike Lee was in right. terms of like trying to recreate the original production of the Mikado as much as he could.
0: Right. And we, we often talk about, you know, what you bring to a movie. Right, exactly. I certainly am no. I'm just a little tiny little guy when it comes. Yeah, you are. Just
1: you're just a tiny little guy. You pick you up and shake you, and who knows what would fall
0: out. I did love the little scene where we see how, like, on stage, special effects were done Mm because, like, that little combustion chemist underneath. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and then like the the metal sheets for the thunder and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: and it is yeah. Hell,
0: charmant. Right. And it does sort of, there is that a bit of that disillusionment through revealing and through sort of dissecting an artistic process that is so reliant on you not seeing those things and to reveal Mm. it because you can with a film, whereas I don't know how many playwrights were getting meta at that time. So to be able to go back to theater of the victorian era and give it that sort of deconstruction that i don't know were playwrights at that time sort of doing meta deconstructions of of theater on stage
1: um i don't know not uh i don't i don't know too too much about like off the top of my head like the contemporaries of them i think that mm-hmm. gilbert and sullivan were really kind of uh, you know the dominant force uh, at the time you know they're they they name drop uh, Henrik Ibsen right, at one yeah. point, and when this, they you know, when they mention Ibsen
0: of, I thought of you when they said yeah, that
1: yeah of course how could you not? Um, yeah. but yeah in that moment they're kind of mentioning that like that the English sensibility is entirely positioned towards comedy and the lighthearted and there are moments that they're talking about these uh, atrocities overseas and there was like, Oh, we're just trying to bring the, the pseudonite civilization and they're treating us with such barbarism and Oh, us of high society. We deal with high comedy, you know, that, um, right. Yeah. I think that, um, in terms of like anything else that was being made at that time was certainly going to be, um, You know, if not uh, like a pastiche of what Gilbert and Sullivan Mm, mm -hmm. were doing to a certain extent, that the the lighthearted comedy was certainly, yeah, the uh, the dominant uh, the dominant spectacle of the time.
0: Yeah, interesting. And there is there is I can't I I can't really add off of that. Well, very well said, but I I don't really know enough. But one thing (laughs) that I
1: said uh, I think.
0: (laughs) <laughs> right yeah. yeah sure sure right yeah uh yeah, checks oh, out mm-hmm. with my book but no um one there's one scene that i really love that very much from subverts like cliches and period pieces and it's when he's inspired by the japanese exhibition that he goes to um mm-hmm. gilbert and he he instead of him being like there's no eureka moment that's in the screenplay it's not like oh i know i'll set it in japan and i'll you know i've got right. it i've it's, got it it's, it's just like cut, hard
1: fascination cut. that like kind of like bubbles up into inspiration
0: right and he's just like and, looking at a katana and it's hard cut right. and then they're making the mikado like there's no there's no there's so much of the artistic process but for him to do that temporal jump into mm-hmm moment of inspiration wordless speechless moment of inspiration that's just this like little glance and -hmm. then to cut to the production already in rehearsal i loved that that was that was cool
1: yeah there's yeah yeah i don't know i just felt like there was a lot of really cool moments and i was yeah just quite pleased with this movie uh through and through um it did it did in those moments too though kind of like make this uh cultural appropriation at a certain point because uh you know once you it's yeah it really kind of brings up that conversation too I think of like you know like how how much of using this identity for a plot is acceptable and at Mm -hmm. a certain point you know like how much credit is due for uh, certain stereotypes you know deriving from these uh these depictions of people and Our ideas of them you know like kind of yeah like i don't know that 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 like one of the most famous songs from the mikado being the three little maids from school are we you know this like depiction of japanese women as like i don't know this kind of like meek but also innately sexual kind of thing is like i don't know like uh certainly playing into stereotypes sure uh, yeah i don't know i just wish that maybe that my my biggest gripe with this film is that it could have bore its teeth into those issues a little bit more like you said like but it's also um if this film were made um today which i feel like it would be a much harder film to make today um that it probably would dig into those issues a little deeper and right or it was from you 1999, right. uh, a rather personality list time in the world where we're kind of, um, you know, boiling up to the paranoia of the new millennium, but still kind of in the the mindset of the, the thriving that was uh, America in the 80s and 90s.
0: Right, almost like Victorian England in the time of Gilbert and Sullivan.
1: Almost right, you know, yeah, that, that precipice progress industrial and optimism, industrialization, yeah. yeah, totally, totally. So it is kind of, yeah a little bit blind to uh, the world around it in a sense. Yeah, and it would have been, it
0: could have been nice to pay a bit more to, to no theater and no as an NOH uh, and the, the Japanese theater that did inspire the Mikado. But yeah, I don't think there's anything really egregious in this production.
1: Yeah, right.
0: There's but there have like,
1: certainly been rather egregious things in productions of the Mikado. Oh, and I think that, oh well, um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure. I don't know. I feel like, if anything, the, 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 the fault of this film is that it probably does reel it back at, and at times for, you know, the sake of... Um, I don't want to be thing. uncomfortable. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. When that wasn't necessarily the tr- truth of what the situation probably right. was. Yeah. But... Because it's, it's, there's
0: no, there's, right, there's no, there's no, on behalf of the performers, apart from some physical movements, there's not much appropriation, like, code switching and, like, accent, like, there's no, yeah there's no accents Yeah, and
1: that's, that's, like, almost, you know, it's, it's almost comical in that effect that they, that are, they are presenting in, in Eastern fashion, but then they are just completely, like, a wandering minstrel, I like right. a thing of shreds. You know, yeah, just, it's just ridiculous, too. And I think that's like a lot of what Gilbert and Sullivan's work is. is right, it's right. So much about the merriment and how ridiculous everything is. And, you know, and like the music is still like this, the upbeat, you know, comic opera style of their previous work. They don't really incorporate any like Japanese sounds into um, the the language of the score of the Mikado, but that's, you know, more about the Mikado itself as a, as a piece of theater, um, except for maybe the fans in that one part, which was very percussive. Oh, yeah. Right, yes, very, yes. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Interesting, interesting little film, kind very charming, but not really, um, not really, um, I don't know, up to deconstructing the issues it plays around with. Sure. And I'm glad
0: you. I've, I've been meaning to check out more Mike Lee. So I'm, I'm definitely yeah. very happy I, you picked it and that we watched it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, the other one I've seen, Naked, is. Oh, I yeah.
0: need to see that.
1: I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah. That's one you should watch and then like think about it and then watch it again a month later. Hmm. Did you do that? No, I watched it again like a year or so later. Oh, but okay. I certainly liked it more the second time just because oh. I wasn't quite. Yeah. I think I mentioned this before that I wasn't quite. Ready for the brutality of me. Yeah, you've said Uh, that. Yeah. But what what else can we glean from this podcast?
0: Whoa, you little dirty dog. Now that's the best transition yet. The Gleaners and I, a 2000 film by Agnes Varda. I am her favorite and she is my favorite. Mm. And the original... Anya? Anya
1: Varda?
0: Yeah, Anya Varda, exactly. If we're getting real French with it. And speaking of getting real French with it, the original title is Les Glaneurs et la Glaneuse, and the English title gets translated to Gleaners and I, which I frankly find a very reductive translation. Mm. I'll get to we why I think so hate later.
1: French to English translations yes. on this podcast.
0: We do. We, we do. hate them, and
1: yeah. I think we can say it finally.
0: <laughs> I think we can, finally. I think we need the we slants can too. Put our-
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: um, but. The, the original title is The Gleaners, plural, masculine, and The Gleaner, singular, feminine, which...
1: Right, which is like, I, Anya Varda, am the gleaner. Right. And they are the gleaners. The gleaners
0: right. and the gleaner. And to, to, to make herself a gleaner in the title... Yes. ...sort of put, makes her in the subject position, it, whereas... It's because the,
1: it's a different language with yeah, different powers yeah, in, stupid, of communication. Stupid, English is dumb and we hate it. Yes. Précisément mon neveu.
0: Mais je d'agresse. Ah, uh no, just kidding. I'm sorry. But this is a 2000 film. 2 2000. A year 2000. Two, 2 uh who? Uh Varda 2000 bot. No, uh nope. But this is a a documentary from 2000 by Agnes Varda or one of her more not one of her more, a a traditional documentary from her as opposed to those b- delicious meta blendings that I love so dearly, but I love this too, so you know, no need to degrade it in any sense. It is it entails hmm, no, nope, It uh, uh Gleaners and I follows Varda as she embarks on a journey with her little handheld video camera as she goes about filming the gleaners of France. And if you're not familiar with gleaning, it originally refers to those that would go into the fields for harvest after the wheat's been cut down and bend over in the fields and pick it up. It's a lot of the Gleaner. Uh, God, I, you know her. I know her. <laughs> yeah we got it in there hell yeah exactly no but the yeah gleaners were the ones that would go and and pick up the the cut down crops potatoes and wheat what have you and that sort of word becomes retextualized here for those that sort of pick up society's scraps, the, the things deemed ugly or unsellable or unsold um, potatoes that are too big or misshapen that farmers get rid of or uh, after a farmer's market is done and all the scraps on the ground that'll just be thrown out or eaten by pigeons or whatever. And there are these people that go around and, and collect these things for, for sustenance. And Varda... Travels around in her little Varda fashion and becomes fascinated with these people and their lifestyle. She's she's
1: in the Varda mobile. She got the Varda cam.
0: Varda cam, Varda mobile,
1: exactly.
0: And she's adorable as
1: always, cruising down the French countryside.
0: Right, and and squishing little trucks with her hand, and
1: no one is safe. No one is. Oh
0: no, she is a destructive Godzilla-like force. No, she's the the best. And we talked about the film Streetwise on this podcast, and we discussed the uh, nature of director and crew and what sort of their obligations are as filmmakers and the role of camera as catalyst and camera and distribution as exploitation, and whether or not even though the children of Streetwise are granted narrative authority, whether or not it's still exploitative towards the subjects or not. And I would argue that Gleaners and I, or more pro- more um, more appropriately, Les Glanaires and La takes another step in documentary filmmaker-subject relation and stripping away exploitation, because this is a film in which... Varda herself makes herself a subject and makes herself one of the gleaners. And right. while I think you could make the argument that that is sort of a more egocentric approach, I think it sort of puts her on, it sort of degrades that power structure between- Right, it breaks
1: down that pedestal that is sometimes right. there, you know? Yeah, you between filmmakers- When behind and the production. camera, you're right. almost- you know, That's you're supposed like. to be elevating the subjects, mm-hmm. you right? Know what I mean, you're supposed to be elevating the content of the film, and but how? But often, it, in turn, you elevate yourself, yeah. Um, yeah. at at the cost of those people. You know, once once the the film stops rolling, you know, like we've said, like we're talking about, once what happens? Once um, once the credits roll, how does the film stay with the people? You know, both you as in terms of like your experience with the film, but also how does the, world, the film impact the world financially? Right, mm-hmm. especially when we consider documentaries. And yeah, it is really interesting that, yeah, she makes herself culpable in this film. She participates in the yes. act of the yep. leaning to, to break down that pedestal between herself and her subjects.
0: And she constantly puts her body and her own sensibilities in the frames and in the film. And, by doing yeah, the, so, removes, the project is
1: filming one hand with the other.
0: Right, and exactly. And in doing that, it sort of removes the, the, stru- the power structure of unnamed, unseen filmmaker that's almost acting as the hand of God, and that distancing between filmmaker and subject where power lies. She sort of doesn't completely eradicate it because she, it is still sort of subject as filmmaker, but she puts herself in the film and puts herself in conversations with all these different people. And I, it's, it's so tender and beautiful. And oh my God, I, I, I was, I fucking loved this movie. I thought it was gorgeous. I thought it was... like just this this old woman appreciating the unappreciated and the forgotten and the discarded and sort of finding the the beauty in it in her own way
1: Mm. very
0: independently too
1: yeah it is it is yeah so much like you said it is about this act of reclamation in a sense and how she is in a sense yeah reclaiming herself reclaiming her body as it ages reclaiming Mm -hmm. uh, her own time reclaiming what society has discarded right and Um, yeah yeah I, i was um I like this film a lot too. I, um, I don't know. I felt like it, it, it felt like it was a little long, even at the 82 minutes, I wish that it could have been like oh, stripped down like almost to like a 60 minutes kind of huh. profile. And it was a bit more, yeah, I don't know, like that it took a little bit more of, um, of a traditional form so that it could make more commentary within that form itself as well. I felt that at some points it kind of meandered a bit and that. Um, yeah, I don't know, maybe that you and the audience aren't meant to, glean yourself from this film. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and how the word, I really like how it really bro- breaks down the etymology of the word gleaners right. and like yeah. how we use it today and how it yeah, ha- has this, like we said, multifaceted meaning.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's so much about gleaning is the sort of dr- democratization of consumption and for her to film this on this like little cheap handheld video cam in 2000 and sort of the emergence of the democratization of film Mm. and the fact that you can now just get this little camcorder and film whatever and she sort of finds the beauty and the relationship between filmmaking and gleaning and but the very act of her traveling around with this cheap little video camera is gleaning uh, an, an act of gleaning itself and sort of yeah, as you said, reclaiming things and the image as reclamation, just as much as the picking up food scraps as reclamation. Mm. And there are these there are these fantastic moments where she talks to lawyers and yeah. judges,
1: was, yeah, about like the legality of gleaning, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And it's like like how like unrepresented this activity is as an option for food you know what i mean that you really can get this good food food that is just because it is you know um doesn't have commercial value doesn't mean it doesn't have still have the nutritional value doesn't right. mean it Does it still has the
0: aesthetic like, value like, sentimental yeah, exactly. value
1: yeah right and
0: and and this uh sorry to cut you off there right? but, uh, no no not cut off um and yeah it'll it'll speaking of cutting it'll cut from these moments of people that own private property being like, no, no, no. I know the law. You can't, you can't glean here. And then I'll cut to a judge like in this like cabbage field being like, no, 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 I've got the law book right here. I'm, I'm well versed. You can, you can glean, you know, during these certain. Right. Well, but I also think it's like
1: also up to the certain, yeah, up to certain circumstances that that also the companies that produce the food are um, allowed to create in a lot of these, yeah, circumstances, but, um, yeah, I don't know, I saw this uh, headline recently that was, uh, some state is, like, making it a law that all um, grocery stores need to, like, donate, like, produce that isn't, like, totally discard to uh, right. food banks at the, uh, the end of the night instead of throwing it out, which is, you know, a good step.
0: Yeah, good step. It was a, a single state. Yeah, Not I think like it was one
1: state. like a federal thing,
0: yeah. No, 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 federal,
1: come on. Come on, in this economy.
0: And the uh, right and her her politics in this film are beautiful and agreeable and just we need a little more of uh Varda's viewpoints in in this yeah. world.
1: i think it's a good thing we have some of them captured.
0: Yeah, and 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 th- this is a film. It's funny, my <laughs> Madeline the other day. What was I doing? I was. She watched it with me, and I was. I was just being like resourceful in my recycling or reusing or like finding I don't I, I forget exactly what I was doing but she was like ah oh, gleaner's and I really got to you huh and I was like <laughs> yeah maybe it did a little bit you thing. got gleaned up <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah but um yeah what
1: well, what can we glean from next week Grunkle? what are we watching
0: oh right what are we watching this week well you've already watched one of them and well that don't was... say that
1: don't I'm say sorry that. Don't say it! Don't say it!
0: You're a rebel. What can I say? You're a little feisty little rebel.
1: I'll light you on fire. Was it
0: Imitation of Life? Is that what it was called?
1: Yeah, Imitation of Life.
0: And then Red Rocket or Devils? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And then Red Rocket and then the the new...
1: (laughs) Next week, we're watching Imitation of Life, Red Rocket, The Devils, and 1900
0: i guess we're keeping 1900 i haven't thought about changing it
1: well we're keeping it now yeah hadn't yeah your window has collapsed
0: and soon enough i mean we're catching up it's gonna be it's gonna be live soon as in yeah
1: we're we're changing our our structure soon we're gonna we're gonna drop that info at the next episode yeah probably Yeah. yeah yeah that makes sense we'll keep you guys posted and uh Property will uh, take us on home country
0: roads. They they should play yeah. Country
1: there. roads, grunk me home.
0: Maybe I'll maybe I'll record me doing that on guitar and cut property out of the deal because I'm sick of paying them two thousand a month.
1: That's a little steep. Yeah, it's a little steep
0: for the silly little podcast. What going we do? All right, catch you next week, I suppose. Bye.